the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Sponsored by the Law Office of Robert Bergman. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 30 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Good afternoon, Bay Area. Bob Bergman here, broadcasting from my command post in San Jose at my office here in San Jose near the Westgate Shopping Center across from El Paseo de Saratoga Shopping Center. I hope you've had a great week. I've had a great one so far. Kids went back to school yesterday, and the house doesn't quite seem the same without them running around during the daytime. But somehow I'll get used to it. Hopefully they'll learn a lot of good stuff this school year, be ready to go forward into the next school year. I want to let you know that uh, you can call me at the show here if you have any questions you'd like me to handle on the air. The number is 800 516 1220. That's 1220 800 516 1220. You can also email me at radio at lawbob.com with any questions you may have. Can't guarantee I'd get them to the show today, but I could certainly cover them on a future broadcast. I also want to let you know that tomorrow, uh, tomorrow morning starting at 9 o'clock, and next Saturday starting at 9 o'clock, that's the 18th tomorrow and the 28th next Saturday. I will be doing Living Trust Seminars in my office in San Jose. If you're interested in registering for one of those seminars, visit my website at lawbob.com, L-A-W-B-O-B.com, and click on the link for the free Living Trust and Retirement uh, and uh, Wealth Preservation Seminars, and that will take you uh, to a calendar where you can then look and pick a date You'll end up going to Eventbrite where you can actually register. I only have four spaces available now left for tomorrow morning, and I only have nine right now available for next Saturday. So if you'd like to register, registration is required because I have limited space in my office for people. So unless you want to show up and take your chances, maybe end up sitting on somebody's lap, that may be okay with them, okay with you, it's okay with me, then uh, you need to register ahead of time. Now, for the past several weeks, I've been going through a number of questions that people have placed online addressed to attorneys such as myself, asking them for information uh, and answers to legal dilemmas that they're in. And these are all things that have to do with various aspects of estate planning. So I'm going to continue that on today because I found it's actually a very useful exercise both for me and keeping me on top of things, but also may very well help people out there in my listening audience 
By the way, uh, please consider also emailing me at radio at lawbob.com to let me know that you're listening to the show and maybe give me some feedback. One thing about radio is you can't see the audience. You can't see how many people have shown up. You can't see whether people are listening or reacting at all. So feedback would be great for me because without that, I really don't have any idea if I'm having any impact on anybody's lives. So again, you can have an impact tomorrow or next Saturday morning if you come to one of my trust seminars. Now, going on with questions and comments from around the great state of California, here's one that uh, comes out of the Los Angeles area. Someone wants to uh, create a trust where his wife can continue living in his home that he owned before the marriage, and she's allowed to use the equity if need be, but also wants to prevent her from giving her adult kids any benefit from the estate, and he ultimately wants his nieces to inherit the estate, the home and bank accounts. Now, there is a way to do that. It involves, it's something that could be done as a separate trust planning by this person where he puts into the trust his residence and his own bank accounts that are separate from the marriage. And he creates what's called a bypass trust so that when he passes away, the property goes into a trust to take care of and benefit his wife for her lifetime. If he wants to make sure that his wife doesn't dip into the property or dip into the accounts and use it for her own children, he could make sure that somebody else is put in charge of that bypass trust. In other words, there's a trustee that's someone other than his wife, and then they can make sure that she's provided for and she has a place to live and and monies to take care of her if that's what his intention is. Then it can be hardwired into that bypass trust that on his wife's passing, the property goes on to his nieces. So that's a type of planning that I don't do as much as I used to because it was typically done in the past for the purpose of bypassing a taxable estate so there'd be no estate taxes owing when a surviving spouse died. But in this case, it makes perfect sense to do something like this. It can even be set up, possibly set up in such a way that the nieces would receive that property at a new value for income tax purposes when his wife dies. Now, here's an excellent question. This actually comes out of here in San Jose, uh, in my own uh, backyard, so to speak. Here it says, uh, when the mother-in-law passes, we stand to inherit money, a lot of which is held in IRAs in her name or her deceased husband's name. Now, if it's held in her deceased husband's name, that's probably an inherited IRA. So hold that thought for a moment. This person says they'll be 59 and a half soon. And assuming I don't withdraw any money before that age, is the money taken out of those accounts taxable? And does it vary depending on what we use the money for? Well, the short answer is money taken out of a retirement plan of any kind unless it's a Roth plan, a Roth IRA, or Roth 401k plan, is taxable when it's withdrawn from the plan. In this particular situation, the 59 and a half years old, which is the normal rule for taking money 
out of a retirement plan without any tax penalty would not apply for monies that are actually inherited from a parent or someone else. There's different rules for what's called an inherited IRA, and the 59 and a half rules don't apply. I actually do a whole seminar on the topic of planning for qualified retirement plans and for inherited IRAs, and especially asset protection planning for those retirement plans when they're passed on to children or other heirs. Um, I do those seminars occasionally in my office. You can actually view a seminar like that on my YouTube channel, Law Offices of Robert P. Bergman. It's about 45 minutes long. It, it actually describes the special type of planning that could be done to plan for the inheritance of retirement plans. But the person who owns a retirement plan is the one that has to do the planning. And here's a short one right here. Uh, my mom recently passed away, but there was nothing left in her trust as she'd sold her house two years ago and used the profits to pay for assisted living. This sounds like mom probably bought into an assisted living facility and uh, and then was also paying monthly for her care. So pretty much used up all of her money doing that. The question is, do I still need to file her will with the court and pay an attorney to sort through nothing that's left? Well, the short answer is the law requires that the will be filed or what we call lodged with the court in the county where mom lived. But as a practical matter, um, and that would charge you 50 bucks, by the way. But as a practical matter, if there's no estate subject to probate and nothing left to distribute, filing that will with the court is kind of a meaningless action. And I would probably advise that a person, you don't really need to do that. It makes no sense at all. So we're coming up on the first break of the day, and after the break, we'll come back. We'll talk a little bit more about more questions and comments from around the state. Remember, I have my seminars coming up tomorrow morning and next Saturday morning at 9 o'clock at my office, and I'll talk with you after the break. This is Attorney Bob Bergman. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back for the second segment of the show today. Hope you've been having a good afternoon. I know I'm uh, having a good afternoon. I'm looking forward to my seminar tomorrow morning here at my office. Uh, If you'd like to register, visit uh, lawbob.com and follow the links for the Living Trust Seminars, and you'll be able to register right away. Or you can go to eventbrite.com and search for the Living Trust Seminar there. You'll be able to find um, all of the upcoming dates I have for seminars here at my office. Before the break, I was talking about some questions and comments from around the state. I thought I'd continue on here with more of those because I find the more I get into this, the more I realize there's a lot of things happening around the state that seem to happen over and over again. Now, this one right here, I'm sure this is not the first time this has happened. Here's someone saying, my aunt, who never married, has no kids, is in poor health. Seven years ago, my aunt added me to the title of her house. Now, that's seven years ago. This was without this person's knowledge. So I guess the aunt decided, I want my my niece or nephew to have this property when I die. 
the aunt's siblings, brothers and sisters, are claiming that uh, this person tricked the aunt into adding the name to the property. That's just not true. Apparently, auntie loves the niece or nephew more than she likes her own siblings. So now the concern is that she's this person's afraid that the siblings will coerce the uh, aunt into telling me that she changed her mind. And uh, if they're successful in getting ownership transferred to themselves, that would leave the aunt without any money. They're already putting pressure to sign a quit claim deed. What should I do? Well, I'll tell you, if it's been seven years ago, and and that was done seven years ago, and it's been there all this time, presumably it was done when the aunt had legal capacity to be doing things like that, I would advise this person not to sign a quitclaim deed because it appeared that, and quitclaim deed, by the way, is a deed where you say, I give all of my rights, all of the title I may have, and all the interest I may have in property, in real property, to the person I'm transferring it to. So it sounds like the siblings are trying to get her to transfer her interest back to their sister, uh, and it's probably to set the sister up with leaving everything to them instead of to her favorite niece or nephew. I would advise against it and um, and because there's no evidence here that there was anything done that was untoward or was inappropriate in any way, shape, or form. It's not the first time that an aunt has left property to a niece or nephew. I have a number of clients that have done that uh, in preference to their own siblings, because and sometimes in preference to their own children because they have a better relationship with a niece or nephew. Now here, okay, here. Let's see here. Ah, is a trust a way to leave someone money that will survive a tax lien? So here it says, my mother would like to leave me some money, presumably when she dies, but we both have tax liens. Is a trust a solution? Well, let's talk about that for a moment. Trusts can solve a lot of problems for a lot of people. Trusts can be used, for example, to protect your personal residence from a recovery claim from the state of California if you qualify for and you need Medi-Cal. Trusts can be used to protect an inheritance. Once the inheritance is received, by putting restrictions on how the inheritance can be used in the trust. In this person's case, there's nothing really that the mother could do if she has tax liens in order to protect her property when she dies from having to pay those tax liens. But the child who has tax liens, the mother could set up a trust that leaves everything to the child in a special kind of trust that is asset-protected so that the inheritance could be protected for the child from the child's own tax liens, even though the mother's tax liens would have to be paid out of her estate when she died. So the question, or the answer to the question is, no for the mom, but yes for the child if something is done by the mom before the mom passes away. Okay. Here, someone asks, as a trustee of an adult sibling's spendthrift trust, can I create a living trust for that sibling? 
Now, let me explain what a spendthrift trust is. That's kind of a common term that refers to a trust that has limits in it that are designed to prevent the beneficiary of the trust from taking their inheritance and spending it all. In other words, blowing their inheritance, uh, putting it all on red and spinning the wheel in Las Vegas or buying a bunch of stupid things that they don't really need. And the day after they realize, I don't really need that. Why did I buy that? A lot of people will just spend everything they get their, their hands on and have nothing left. Here the person says, I'm the trustee of this spendthrift trust that presumably was created for the sibling. Can I establish a living trust on behalf of my sibling? Well, the short answer to that is no. I don't know why you'd be interested in doing that unless the sibling had a bunch of their own property. But no, the sibling has to establish a trust like that for themselves. Now, if the sibling is a special needs person and is mentally incapacitated and has assets, it may be possible to go to court to establish something like that through the court system, through a conservatorship. But as a general rule, you can't establish a trust for somebody um, unless they have given you specific authority to do that, for example, with a specially crafted power of attorney. Um, So if the sibling gave a power of attorney, that might actually work. Now, here's someone, again, in Los Angeles said, I hold title to property as a married man as my sole and separate property. My wife died, and I filed an affidavit of death with the records office. That's the recorder's office. Now, it's kind of strange. I don't know why he'd file an affidavit of death in reference to the property if he had title as a married man as a sole and separate property. Presumably, they he owned it together with his wife, and now he owns it as his sole and separate property. He wants to move property to a revocable living trust. How should it take title? He wants to know, is it single man as my sole and separate property? Widowed man as my sole and separate property? I assume I can't keep saying married as I'm not anymore. Well, this is actually kind of um, a solution looking for a problem. There's really no, no issue for this person. They can easily transfer it from the current title. I'd probably do John Smith. Um, a widower who took title as John Smith, a married man, as sole and separate property, hereby transfer to John Smith as trustee of presumably the John Smith Revocable Living Trust. So there's a lot of ways to do that. It doesn't have to be overly complicated to get the property in the trust, as long as it's clear that the intention is to transfer into the trustee, uh, to the trustee's name and the trust ownership. That's going to be fine. So we're coming up on the mid-show break. I hope you've enjoyed it so far. Uh, Please feel free to call if you'd like, 800-516-1220, or email me at radio at lawbob.com. I'll be back after the break. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio. Once again, your host, estate planning trust and probate law specialist, attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back for the third segment of our show today. Um, Again, I just want to let you know if you're just tuning in, you can call me at 800-516-1220. 
You can email me at radio at lawbob.com with your questions or comments. You may also attend my seminar, my Living Trust Seminar, tomorrow morning in my office at 9 o'clock or next Saturday morning at 9 o'clock. The uh, spaces are filling up quickly, and you have to have a registration to get in. So please visit my website at lawbob.com. Click through the links near the top there where it talks about Living Trust Seminars or a little bit down the top of the first page where it says register for our Living Trust Seminar. And it will take you right through the steps to get right into the system to register for one of my seminars and make sure you have a guaranteed spot. Now, this is a question I'm sure that probably comes up fairly uh, fairly often when we're talking about trusts and beneficiaries and trust accountings. One of the things that trustees are required to do unless the beneficiaries waive the requirement in some way is to account for the assets and income and money that is dispersed from a trust while the trustee is handling the trust. Now, here's someone saying, hey, I need to ask for a trust accounting. The trustees have an attorney. Do I send my registered letter to the trustees or their lawyer? I think the short answer is send it to both. The trustee is the one that is obligated to provide the, the accounting, and that's the one that you're obligated to communicate with. Um, but if you send it to their attorney as well, their attorney may be at least put on notice that the trustee is perhaps not doing something they're supposed to do, namely provide accountings to the um, to the beneficiaries of the trust. And I know as an attorney myself, if I got a letter like that, I would be on the phone right away advising my client, hey, uh, you need to take care of this. Uh, you know, I'm not doing it in my practice. So if they have an accountant, they need to really get on top of that because otherwise they could end up being taken to court for the accounting. And that just incurs a bunch of attorney's fees and expenses and unpleasantness that can usually be avoided if you provide an accounting. Now here, uh, here we go. Let's see. That's okay. Yeah, I don't, I don't like that one. That one's much too involved here. So that won't make sense. Oh, here's a good one out of out of Bakersfield. Uh, Mom and Dad set up a trust years ago. The original attorney is no longer practicing. That means the attorney either passed away, retired, or moved away somewhere but is no longer practicing. Question, can I shop around and select a new attorney that I'd like to work with, or do I have to stay with the old attorney's firm? And it says, not feeling a good vibe with the old school mentality. Well, I'll tell you right now, I'm pretty old school in the way that I conduct my business, but that doesn't mean I have an old school mentality. I've been practicing a long time. But I'm up with the times. I'm technologically savvy, and I keep up with what's going on in estate planning. I'm not using the same documents I used 10, 15, 20 years ago. It's all new now, and it's all up to date. So the real question is, I assume that what talk, they're talking about here is the parents have passed away, and they, do we have to go back and work with the attorneys that our parents worked with? And the answer is absolutely not. Much as attorneys would like to think that they own their clients and that they have a right to uh, their clients somehow. 
Um, the fact is that nobody owns a client. Nobody has a right to a client. They can go and work with whomever they wish to, whoever they're more comfortable with. And that's perfectly fine and that's perfectly okay. Um, I find that not everybody wants to work with me because um, maybe they don't like my style. Maybe they think I'm a little too easygoing. Maybe they think I don't think things seriously, which I do. But I also like to keep things a little bit light at times because I deal with heavy subjects. But that means that someone doesn't have to use me if I did the plan for the parents. And they certainly don't have to use the attorney their parents used if they want me to assist with the administration of the parents' trust after the parent has passed away. So that kind of is a fairly long and involved answer. It could have been a very short answer, but I wanted I wanted to kind of explain, yes, you can certainly do that. There's no problem with doing that, none whatsoever. Now here, this is a question, I've had this come up in my own practice because it is something that can, in fact, come up as we are uh, as we're going through things here uh can a lawyer who created a will and trust but is not the successor trustee legally give a copy of the trust to a beneficiary of the trust well i'll say first of all if the creator of the trust is still alive the only way that an attorney could legally give a copy to a named beneficiary is with the express written consent of the creator of the trust. That's the client. Because a trust created and even the fact that there's beneficiaries and who those beneficiaries are, that's all confidential information and is not to be shared without the express written consent of the client. That is basically called um, that is basically called um, attorney-client confidentiality. So you need to be aware of that. The second thing, though, is that if someone has now passed away, and I think that's probably really what they're referring to, is someone has died. Well, in that case, um, it says many months have passed since the death of the trustor, and there were large amounts of liquid assets, meaning cash and things easily convertible to cash, such as stocks and bonds and mutual funds. Um, no one has given this person who's a beneficiary a copy of the trust, and months have gone by. Uh, this person doesn't want to contact the successor trustee until they have a copy, but the lawyer says the lawyer cannot legally provide me with a copy. That is true, because if even if my client has died and you're a beneficiary of the trust, unless you are the successor trustee, of the trust, I can't provide any of the file to you. That's because the attorney-client confidentiality that I had with my client now extends to the successor trustee or trustees of the trust that I created for my clients. So if the trustees say it's okay to give a copy and they tell me in writing it's okay, I can do that. But the bigger issue is the trustee of the trust has a legal obligation to notify all the beneficiaries and either provide them or give them the opportunity to request a copy of the terms of the trust. And the failure to do that means that the trustee is going to be liable for anything that goes bad or wrong for the failure to do that. 
for uh, until they actually get around to doing that. It's probate code 1606.1.7, and it's a legal requirement that the trustee notify uh, the beneficiaries that the person's died. The trust is now irrevocable. I'm the trustee in charge. Here's my address. Here's how to contact me. And what I usually do in my practice is here's a copy of the terms of the trust. Because when you when you give a copy of the trust, then it starts a time clock, which eventually means that a beneficiary can't go to court and complain about things anymore because they have about a four-month period to do that. The failure to give that notice means that four-month period never starts to run, which means the trustee could be a year out. They still haven't given the notice. The the beneficiaries could come back and sue them at any time or challenge the trust at any time. It, it's kind of a mess. So situation like that, I would say demand it from the trustee and maybe go get your own attorney and have them send a letter to the trustee saying you're entitled to this and you're entitled to the proper notice under the probate code. If this person has an actual attorney representing them, the attorney's probably not doing a very good job, but the chances are that the attorney that did the trust is not representing the trustee, and that's why nothing has happened. Um, That's why I tell people, you take over, don't try to do this on your own, don't try to be the trustee on your own, get professional legal advice, Get professional accounting advice. Get professionals to help you administer that trust so you don't make mistakes. Now here, um, okay, this is actually a fairly common question. I mean, uh, unless you've actually gone through it, you don't automatically know what the answer might be. So here, what happens after the grantors have died? What do the trustees, who are the same as the beneficiaries, have to do? Do they actually have to do something now that they own the trust if they don't plan on selling the assets? Well, let's start first by saying when the original creators of the trust die and the assets now are to pass on to beneficiaries, the beneficiaries don't own the trust. The trust as the trust doesn't exist in the same way. It's now an irrevocable trust. And unless there's provisions to pass property on in trust for the beneficiaries, that trust cannot stay around indefinitely. It has no tax ID number. It has, There's no way to declare income or anything because the, the people who created it have deceased. So they need to distribute the assets out of the trust probably as quickly as possible after they've made sure that the person's debts and liabilities have been paid, but they can't just let it sit in the trust indefinitely because that's going to create problems for them in the future. So we're coming up on the end of the third segment of the show today. I want to remind you I have Living Trust seminars at my office tomorrow morning and next Saturday morning at 9 o'clock. Visit lawbob.com for details. Uh, after the break, I'll be wrapping up the show with a few more of these situations, questions and comments. So until then, talk with you after the break. This is attorney Bob Bergman. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. Hi, welcome back. Bob Bergman here for the final segment of our show today. 
I want to remind you, if you're just now tuning in, you've missed most of the show, but I am having my Living Trust seminars in my office tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock and next Saturday morning at 9 o'clock. There's also one in September if you cannot make the one um, tomorrow or next Saturday. Space is limited. I urge you to go to lawbob.com. Click on the links to register for the seminar, and that'll take you right into, uh, eventually into Eventbrite. Uh, But just follow the links, and it'll get you where you need to go. So before the break, I was talking about um, situations coming around the state here, dealing people dealing with estate planning issues. Let me move the microphone a little closer there. hope that's a little clearer. Um, and here, oh, this is an excellent one here. Um, and there's probably people out there listening now or you know someone where this situation would actually fit them. Here's someone who is divorced, has two adult children, and have had little or no contact over the last few years. This person's living with a long-term life partner and an exclusive relationship. So we're talking about a partner relationship and not a marriage. Would like to assure his partner make any decisions on his behalf regarding care, finances, and business. Believes he should prepare a will to designate benefits to his partner and his children in the way he desires. Is this a valid assumption? Well, I think absolutely this person should be considering doing estate planning to make sure that the partner has the authority to handle the decisions that the person wants to have handled for them if they become incapacitated or at death. I think a living trust with an advanced health care directive and a well-drafted power of attorney is what this person needs. A will just throws everything into the court system and uh, and probably for no good reason throws it into the court system because it's going to be expensive, it's going to be time-consuming, it's going to be completely public, and it, it's going to really, really cause a burden for everyone involved. So here, if you're in a situation like this or you know somebody in a situation like this, they need to do estate planning to make sure that their wishes are followed and they have legal documents supporting their wishes. So this is not something, don't do a will, don't try and do this on your own either, especially if you have adult children who might be upset about the choices that you've made and might try to interfere with the choices that you've made. I do run into this every now and then in my practice. Now, here's a situation that I'm sure, again, is not an uncommon one. Uh, This person uh, rented a home from his father and his stepmother for 14 years. During all the time that the house was rented, um, son made all the payments on the loan. The dad died. Now stepmom wants to sell the house. What can I do? Uh, stepmom never lived in the house. Son paid, made all the payments on the loan, paid for all repairs, did many upgrades. What legal position does this child have? Well, it's possible, not likely, but it is possible the child might be able to assert against the property in his father's estate that he has a claim for reimbursement, for payments made, for repairs, for upgrades, things like that. The fact that he was renting, though, kind of cuts the other way. Uh, If he's thinking that, well, I paid rent and they used that to pay the mortgage, well... 
that's not quite the same thing as I paid the loan off or I was paying on the loan. But if there was uh, any kind of evidence that he that he was going to get something or should get something uh, when his father died, he might be able to assert it in a court of law, but probably not. So here, here's someone who's been living with and caring for mom who's had Alzheimer's for eight years. Mom has a trust which names this person as, she says, as executor, but I think means trustee. The house is also to go to this child and the sister of the child once mother's passed. Brother stepped in, took mother to his house to help in her care. He now wants to move mom back to her home along with his family to continue caring. Now the sister and the brother are ordering this person to move in two weeks to allow the brother and his family to move in. And if they don't, they'll remove my belongings. Now, the sister and this person both have power of attorney to uh, assist things with mom and probably um, are now a trustee of the trust. So they really cannot throw this person out of the property if she's the trustee. They don't have any real authority to do that. The brother certainly doesn't if he's not in any position of authority. And uh, she could basically change the locks right now if she wanted to to prevent the brother from moving into the house. Uh, Very bad situation. I think they probably need to get this sorted out, uh, sorted out right away and not kind of mess around with this. Well, we've run out of time today. Time seems to fly so fast. It's an hour show, but it seems like I start next thing I know. It's like watching your kids grow up. One minute they're in diapers. The next month they're graduating from high school. That's what it feels like anyway. So I hope you've enjoyed the show. Remember my seminars tomorrow and next Saturday, 9 o'clock at my office in San Jose. You can also uh, email me at radio at lawbob.com. Give me a call at 408 247 I have an 800 number that I'm going to be acquiring soon, and I'll put that out on the show later on uh, in a future episode. So until next week, this is attorney Bob Bergman. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, where you'll also find information on his upcoming estate planning seminars. L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.